Welcome to What the Health, an independent approach to your health span. Have you noticed how our healthcare system may not have your best interest in mind? Join Dr. Eckel in this fun and sometimes disturbing exploration of the state of healthcare and what it means for you. Now, here's your host, Dr. Eckel. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. Greg Eckel, and this is What the Health. Sometimes it is very disturbing out there. Other times it's actually rather enlightening. And today is one of those enlightening discussions. Uh, we're talking brain health, early signs and symptoms of neurodegeneration near and dear to me, early detection, brain testing, and holistic approaches for your brain health. And my guest today is Anna Fisher, Anna Fisher Silva. Sorry about that. Uh, and she's the founder of Restorative Wellness Solutions, uh, provides advanced education for health practitioners. And she's been at this for a while. Uh, her vision is to ultimately change the prevailing paradigm of what constitutes health and how it's achieved. And I hope we get in on that one today. She's been in practice 23 years and works with the sickest clients who aren't getting answers, kind of the recalcitrant and difficult conditions is what I call that, uh, with autoimmune conditions, biotoxin illness, neurologic imbalances. Her current passion is focused on health span and ensuring we stay mentally and physically fit for the entirety of our lifespan. And welcome aboard. Thanks so much. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're really excited. I, you know, this one is, this topic is near and dear to me. And it's often frustrating for folks, especially around brain health, in that there aren't a lot of definitive tests. And um, so, you know, what are the, as we are aging, our population is aging, we're seeing more and more neurodegeneration. And oftentimes these are symptoms that we've had 10 to 30 years That's before right. a diagnosis. So I'm curious what you have been finding over the last two decades in practice, early signs and symptoms of neurodegeneration. Well, I think for some people, I can start with, you know, I feel okay, but I don't have great energy, but I'm all right. Uh, sometimes they become forgetful. And, you know, those are the early canaries in the coal mine that can be present for multiple years before actual symptoms of degeneration begin. And I think that a lot of times family members are aware before the actual person with the symptoms are willing to acknowledge. I, I see that a lot. Sure. I see family members coming forward, you know, really worried about their loved one, um, that, you know, things just aren't the way that they were before and really worried about the progression of the disease. So I think as practitioners, we need to be real messengers of the power of early detection. So I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's a touchy subject, right? I mean, there's the one aspect of our society is, you know, get used to it. You're getting old, which we call complete hogwash on that Completely. statement, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the other one where it's way more nuanced in the family of you might be noticing your mom or your dad or your partner uh, start to slip into some changes that you can't quite put your finger on, right? Um, and so what, what do you see, like what brings people in to see you um, and or to other providers? What are you seeing? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think you have to look at a, a number of different factors that can contribute to this. And sometimes it starts with sleep disorders. 
Mm. right? It's like sleep is so important. Sometimes it starts with brain fog and people tend to think that as they age, that's just a normal part of aging instead of really recognizing that that's an early sign of neurodegenerative decline. You know, brain fog can certainly be a part of medications, especially if you take those medications with alcohol, but it can also be the result of just existing persistent stress, right? Mm -hmm. That persistent stress, you know, hello, 2022. Um, I think that we really need to look at brain fog as a real early sign of this, especially when it's unabating and it doesn't, you know, becomes chronic. Um, so, you know, thinking about people that have fuzzy thinking or, or they're just unfocused or unclear, they can't put their finger on something. Almost every client I talk to has brain fog to some degree. And I think, you know, when we have that unremitting stress, um, we, we recognize when our body's tired, we know when our body's tired, we need to rest, Right. But when our brain is tired, we tend to sort of slog through, right? We just push it and we don't really recognize that we need to take a break and focus and do something different. Yeah, that it's almost like people start pushing the stimulants at that point of, oh, maybe I just need more coffee or, you know, we're, we're doing something to stimulate our system to kind of get through that fog. Um, but that is a telltale marker of neuroinflammation in particular. That's right. That, that the conventional land is just not tuned into that. That's where you get the pat answer of, oh, get used to it. You're getting old because that's what they're seeing with folks as they age. But that is not a normal symptom, right? You know, we talk about common symptoms versus normal. That is definitely not normal. It's so, not the, normal. what else do you see as early signs that maybe not related? Um, so much to the brain, you know, we got like word, memory, recall, mm -hmm. th those components, but where, what are some oddball things that people may not be thinking about? Well, I think um, I, I, I'm such a big believer in testing. And I think that you can use just some standard blood chemistry tests to really identify some early signs. I mean, blood sugar is a huge one, right? Yeah. Like when you see those early signs of insulin dysregulation, that's a red flag. When you, can, when you look at lipids and you do some APOE testing, you can find out that that's a real, there's a real association there. So I think that, um, you know, some people don't have signs. You know, I, I just recently had a young woman come in, well, she's in her early forties um, and she, her mother was really concerning her. She was really worried about her mom's forgetfulness, just couldn't find her words, couldn't keep her thoughts together. And her mom refused all testing. She'd be mostly because her mother died of dementia and she did not want to know. Mm. And so her daughter came to me. She's been a longtime client and said, look, can you help my mom? I'm going to pitch this to her. Like I'll do the testing with her. Mm. So we did some genetic testing and we did some neural testing and um, the mother agreed. I did it on both of them. And the 40 year old had early signs, absolutely no symptoms, but the same markers, you know, of dysregulation that her mother had, who's 25 years older. So, I, you know, sometimes there aren't those early signs. Sometimes you have to be proactive and really dig in and take a look at what's going on. You know, I think that's an awesome strategy for the daughter to take on and that you just incorporated right? that in of we're gonna go into this together um, 
Yeah, so let's talk about that because there aren't really definitive tests, but you really specialize in functional assessment and have really put together some profound patterns for folks and in your practice and educating other providers around this. So what, um, what do you do for the early detection component? Because it, again, what happens in the Western approach is it waits until somebody has gone past the point of no return. Like there's not coming back. And for somebody um, to refuse all testing, there isn't a great test for dementia, right? No. Um, in conventional land. So no. I'm wondering in what, how you couch this, how do you get into this discussion? I think that's a, a marvelous thing. So anybody watching with, you know, kind of concern for your parents, this is a great way of doing it. Uh, of like, let's do it together. Like, let's be, you know, let's get curious about what's going on. I love love that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I do a number of different tests and, you know, as a nutritionist, the tools in my toolbox are diet, lifestyle, and supplements. You know, I don't, I don't use medications. I use those basic tools and those are really powerful tools when you can identify exactly what's going on. Right. So, you know, I, I look at um, a standard blood chemistry and some of the things that I think about are um, I'm looking at homocysteine is the methylation pathway adequate. I'm looking at those blood sugar markers. I'm looking at, you know, insulin and a hemoglobin A1C is there, are there signs of dysregulation there? I'm looking for inflammation, signs of inflammation. Um, I'm looking at oxidative stress markers. So these are just standard markers on a blood chemistry panel that can, it's like, you know, reading tea leaves, you can get so much information about what's going on. You can also look at genetics, right? You can look to see if there are some of those genetic markers that can be telltale signs of potential brain dysfunction. That's really great to know because you don't know if those genes are turned on, but you know, you have the propensity and you can make some lifestyle adjustments to make sure that doesn't happen. And then of course, we want to make sure that our hormones are well-regulated. So we need to make sure that our cortisol is, is in, you know, has a nice diurnal rhythm. We want to make sure that our DHEA is adequate. The studies are pretty clear that you know, hypercortisolism is a real factor for brain dysregulation and low DHEA can be too. So we want to make sure that that's in good regulation. And I want to make sure folks will understand cortisol. So maybe tell us about that a little bit more um, for folks that may not be so familiar with the term. So uh, we talked a little bit about stress and how, you know, stress can really carve that deep groove of anxiety for a lot of people. And uh, cortisol is our primary stress handling uh, hormone, and it's secreted by the adrenal glands, as is DHEA. And so we want to make sure that cortisol, the rhythm that we have of cortisol is is really optimal. Um, That's what's going to make sure that our brain is is operating optimally as well, and making sure that Adrenaline, I think most people know about that one, right? Um, Epinephrine, these are the stress hormones that can really affect our brain long-term. So we wanna look at those hormones and make sure that that they're well-regulated. It's a way of determining how someone is managing their stress as well. Awesome, thank you for that. So that, and that kind of ties into some of those early signs that people may not have put together with like the sleep issues and 
that, that uh, is influencing the insomnia or restless sleep or waking frequently. The, you also mentioned homocysteine. So I want to make sure folks are tuned into that with methylation. So how do you explain that to your providers, patients, et cetera? Um, because those aren't really run it on an annual exam, let's say through Medicare yeah. or anything like that. So unfortunately, no, yeah. I wish, I wish that it was. Yeah. So homocysteine is a metabolite in one of the liver's primary detoxification pathways. And, um, the literature tells us that when homocysteine is elevated, that um, it's a sign that this pathway isn't really, that we're not really detoxing properly. And there's a huge connection with elevated homocysteine and poor methylation, this primary detoxification pathway. And there's a huge association when homocysteine is elevated with um, an increased risk of cardiovascular events like stroke. So um, I, I, people should be asking to have their homocysteine levels measured, in my opinion, because it's a, it's a real easy, inexpensive test and a way to find out um, if you're methylating well and if you have that increased risk of heart disease. Yeah, that is a great marker, um, you, you know, especially when you couple it with the genetic testing that you were talking about um, of really looking at you know, what's the platform, potential platform, and then functionally, like, how is it playing out for folks? So, um, so getting what other the other markers you had mentioned around the insulin and the hemoglobin A1C, um, maybe explain to folks, like, how is that related? Because we all think about diabetes, um, with the sugar imbalances, but how is that related to brain health? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, those, those particular markers are going to tell us whether there's an, whether there's a problem with our glucose regulation. And we know that, um, you know, a, a glucose saturated brain is inflamed and, um, and that it, it really promotes protein aggregation. And so what that means really is, you know, there's an increase in what's called Lewy bodies. Um, these are clumps of protein that can form in the brain. And as they pile up, they uh, impair memory, they can interfere with movement, thinking, our mood, and so on. So I think that, um, you know, there's a real clear association between blood sugar dysregulation and, and Alzheimer's. So it's, it's something that I really am focused on in my practice. And um, I also recommend that people use a wearable device like a a continuous glucose monitor to really tap in to see, you know, how am I uh, managing my carbohydrate intake? Is my blood sugar staying stable? So um, I think that, you know, we live in a, a really great time of technology and we can use things like continuous glucose monitors to monitor our blood sugar. And then we can use wearable devices like an aura ring or a Fitbit or an iWatch to really tap into the quality of our sleep. I think that's really important too. Yeah, that's really awesome. Do you have some target numbers that you look for, like ideally for people to, to check in on their blood work for? Yeah. So for a fasting glucose, I like to see that between 80 and 90. Mm -hmm. I like to see hemoglobin A1C 5.4 or less. And I like to see insulin um, at seven or less. Awesome. And do you see, I'm just curious, do you have a too low a number for the hemoglobin A1C? 
Um, 5.2 is sort of my, or five would be my low range. How about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't like it to go too far below 5%. Yeah. So it, um, and that, that number folks is a three month check on your sugar. So you have your individual glucose, which is a fasting overnight. And then there's the hemoglobin A1C, which is the three month check on how have you been regulating? I've been playing around with those continuous glucose monitors and <laughs> they are so valuable. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's like, the competitive Dr. Greg likes like, okay, can I keep my sugars? So what they do, you put it on your shoulder and it's really, it, you don't even feel it there. And then you can screen, you know, with your, with your phone, you screen your sugars after every meal. Uh, and you know, you're looking for, well, what did that food that I just ate do to my sugars? And did you get a big spike of glucose, then insulin followed and that creates the inflammation that Anne is talking about here, that's really detrimental to our brain. And I got into it really on a longevity play. So I, I don't like it to go beyond, you know, 15 uh, points is kind of a pushing it for me. I'm wondering if you counsel or um, coach on a certain, certain wave of glucose post, post eating. Um, I think you really have to meet people where they are. I think that that's a really great standard for somebody who um, is already in the, the world of low carbohydrate eating. Yeah. But I think for somebody just, you know, stepping into that world, um, I, I will just ask to see a steady decline in that. I think that's super wise. Yeah, no, I wasn't saying it to overwhelm anybody listening. Um, <laughs> There is in the biohacking world, it's just kind of fun stuff to, to look at optimization. Um, it's a fun game, you know, because one, you feel, I feel really good and I want to feel even better. Then I take that information into our population patient base and I am with you. We meet, we meet folks where they're at. We don't turn anybody into anything they don't want to be. But these CG, the continuous glucose monitors have been a really they're a big game changer, especially you know, even with my patients with diabetes, you know, they're going, following the American Dietetics Association recommendations for diet is like a surety that you're going to have diabetes the rest of your life and get worse. Um, and, and nobody's ever counseled on, hey, let's look at what actually the food does for you individually, rather than here's That's the right. guidelines. So I, I love right. that aspect of it. Yeah. I also think that we really need to look at um, digestive capacity. You know, we, the gut is often called the second brain and I, you know, the GI tract is a major immune center and um, it's also a major site of inflammation. And, you know, the, the research is really clear that when we have people, most people have heard of the term leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And the research, research tells us that when we have a leaky gut, it's almost guaranteed that we're going to have a leaky brain as well, that there's going to be that blood brain permeability, right? So um, I recommend um, a comprehensive stool analysis on everybody that I work with. Yeah, um, love that. And I, you know, people, people go, well, I, di I digest just fine, but um, yeah. most people don't, <laughs> most people don't. And, you know, you could eat the best diet in the world, but if you're not getting the benefit of those nutrients, 
um, it's all for naught. So I really think it's important to, um, you know, really tap in and see what's going on in the microbiome and make sure that your small intestine is um, nice, has nice integrity, which then translate to, to a healthy brain. Yeah. And that, so will you touch on, um, so the blood brain barrier is the leaky barrier of the brain, which follows in suit from the leaky gut. Um, what the whole concept of lipopolysaccharides or LPS, and how does that play into the leaky gut and where, do, where does that come from? Like how, how does the leaky gut begin for folks? Well, I think that, um, one of the primary ways is when we, um, when somebody has been eating a lot of processed foods and, and I have to say that I'm, I'm not a huge fan of gluten. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, gluten is a neurotoxin and um, that most people really don't digest gluten well. And, um, and so uh, when the gut becomes leaky, it's almost always, in my opinion, um, caused by food intolerances or adverse food reactions. And then as we continue to eat those foods, it really starts to degrade the integrity of the tight junctions in the small intestine. And instead of allowing our food to, to be absorbed through the bloodstream, these really tight junctions in very small molecular sizes, big particles of food then are able to pass through these you know, almost freeways that develop in the leaky aspect. And then we develop these adverse food reactions and it's just becomes a vicious cycle. And that can also lead to brain inflammation as well. Yeah, I totally agree on the gluten front. I think even if, you know, we're not talking about celiacs, which is a full on right. uh, allergic response, but, you know, it has been shown it, gluten causes inflammation in everybody's bowel. And that inflammation, like those tight junctions that you were talking about, they start yeah. to gap, that larger food particle gets in there. Then the immune system gets turned on in the blood and that's going systemic inflammation that goes up to your brain. And, you know, when we were talking about brain fog is one of those earlier symptoms, you know, oftentimes when people don't even realize it, that they're, they're crashing after their meal, their lunchtime, or like that significant afternoon fatigue, it's like, well, what did you eat for breakfast and lunch? And like, where, where do you think that fatigue is coming from? Because it's not just from not sleeping last night, obviously that contributes, but the food component is such an often overlooked uh, aspect of health. It's not the only component, but it's what we have control over, right? It is. It's primary. I mean, we, we've got to look at the diet. That's, I mean, everybody eats and what's the quality of what you're eating, right? Um, and I think that we also need to look at lifestyle, right? What are you, what are you being exposed to? You know, how clean is your food? How clean is your environment? Um, we know that, you know, so many of the toxins in the world are what Dr. Dale Bredesen, you know, who's really a, a brain expert calls the dementogens, you mm -hmm. know, things like pesticides and chemicals and heavy metals and, and mold. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm seeing so many mold people today. Yeah. That it just, I don't know whether they just appeared or I, they started to find me. Yeah. I don't know, but right. they're, they're definitely out there. Um, so, you know, really cleaning up our environment to the best of our ability. I mean, you know, look, we live in a really toxic world, so it's, it's not possible. I don't think to avoid all exposures, but we have to do the best that we can. 
Well, you know, I think there that's double edged, right? When we talk about it that way, I think our bodies are so resilient that we are actually capable of rising above the level of toxicity. At the same time, we need to address the level of toxicity because, you know, it's like the fishbowl is getting awfully murky these days. And we look at, especially neurodegeneration, I mean, you know, the average age of dementia in the Blue Cross Blue Shield system right now is 47 years old. That's the average age. That means people younger are starting to exhibit dementia. And that is not just, oh, you're getting old. That's like, no, our canaries in the coal mine are showing we're swimming in more and more soup. And whatever that is, it's like cumulative nature out there. So, you know, I think there is, we definitely need to pay attention to that. But also, we're not in a, you know, when I started learning about environmental science, you can get really depressed, right? Like when when you're saying like, oh my gosh, we're exposed to all of this. Um, But we can also take care of, you know, the liver and the filtration and what we're doing. The other aspect, I'm curious if you're addressing that, like, what goes in like mindset and beliefs? Is that a piece of the puzzle that you see as being important? With everyone. I mean, it doesn't really matter if I'm working with someone with an autoimmune condition or a brain issue or just stress. You know, I I think that mindset is so huge. Mm -hmm. So I, it's a big part of, of what I do is, you know, what do you believe? What, what do you, how do you, how do you interact with your, relationships how do you address the world you know are you how how do you feel about yourself i think all of that is so huge it really is you know it's kind of a dangerous neighborhood to go into by yourself sometimes right so it's <laughs> depending on what you put in there yes. um it's really like we got to guard that with like like our lives depend on it right because they do um and so, yeah, that component, I wanted to make sure like we brought that out in the forefront for folks. Yeah, thank you know, you. yes, there is that environmental component. And, you know, I'm an old hippie at heart. I mean, clean air, food, water, you know, environment like that, those things really matter. And really keeping those in the discussion, especially as we talk about health, you know, our job as providers is really addressing the underlying root imbalance. And, and that's a big cause you know, with like Dr. Bredesen talking about the dementogens of pesticides and herbicides and all of those toxicants, you know, we're, they're just not meant to be in our body. And if they're not meant to be in our body, we really have to question, should we be using them on the planet, right? You know, I, I, I think that um, there's this multi-generational effect too. And I mean, I've seen it within the lifetime of my practice. So I've been in practice 23 years. And I can tell you that when I first started, I could sit down with someone and look at their food journal and make a few tweaks and they would be like almost 100% better. Fast forward 23 years and that isn't possible anymore. Of course, I'm still working with the diet and I'm, I'm making those same tweaks, but people are so much sicker today, sadly. And I think that there's this multiple generational effect of how many generations have now been on processed foods and how many generations have more, you know, turned on genetic defects. So I think that we need to be even more careful and aware of how we live today. 
I, you know, so you hit it really well. Same. We used to just do like elimination diets and people would get better. And now it's like, oh boy, that's the foundation. And now we got to do all of this other components. So that brings me back to the genetics component, because that's a newer thought for a lot of folks on how do the genes, like how are you doing a gene assessment with folks and then um, implementing that into a plan and program, tying it into some of these other early detection uh, components. Yeah. Like, are there specifics? You mentioned APOE4, right? And, uh, and that's come out, Dr. Bredesen has like it researched and extensively um, discussed, but that is a newer topic for folks potentially here. So let's, let's just go to the basics on some of those. Like, yeah, so, so looking at a genetic panel, like we only ever need to do that once, right? Because that's not necessarily gonna change, but what it's gonna do is give you an idea of what your inherent strengths and weaknesses are. And we know that there are certain genetic variations that can be yet another reason why our brains, uh, you know, our cognitive function might not be optimal. So the way I use it is I'm looking at pathways and individual um, SNPs that can give us an idea, give us some insight into propensity and also guide any additional testing that might be appropriate. Like, if we see that there's a weakness or uh, you know potential um, imbalance um, in something like the APOE34, then I might do some. Um, I might make some additional recommendations in that regard. If we see um, mutations in something like MTHFR then definitely I'm going to be checking that homocysteine, right? So it can kind of guide the process in terms of what we need to focus on for that individual. And I think knowing that information can be powerful because then you can say, well, I want to protect this particular pathway. I don't want that to become potentiated. And so I'm going to eat to protect it. I'm going to live my life to protect it. I might take some supplements too. Yeah, I find it can be really motivating for folks to actually see it in a report from their self, right? It's their from their blood, their DNA saying, hey, you have this platform. It may or may not be an issue because the epigenetics or the, the solution around it, but we're just talking about how we are swimming around in this soup. So the odds are high that they're going to eventually be an issue. So, uh, you know, motivating for folks. Um, the way I, I like to bring it up is like, you know, kind of put you to the front of the class because then we can pick therapeutics specifically for your genetic platform. So it's, it's kind of a, a nice way that I've incorporated that into the discussion with folks. Um, do you have any specific brain testing that can be helpful here? I really like, um, I like the neural health panel by Vibrant America. That's one that I use frequently and it's pretty simple, um, but I find that it's really useful. It can kind of help guide lifestyle, dietary and therapeutic recommendations. And it includes biomarkers that are definitely associated with brain or cognitive decline. Hmm. So as a nutritionist, I don't diagnose I, I can't treat anything, but I can use objective testing to guide my process. So that's how I use it. So what, what that test really looks at, 
at are markers that can tell us um, about that blood brain permeability, that leaky brain. It can tell us if there's some protein accumulation, you know, and those are things like amyloid beta proteins or tau proteins um, that can, it, it's not, it's not telling you that you have Alzheimer's. It's not telling you that there, there is dementia, but it's telling you that there are some physical manifestations that are occurring that we can then take action on and reverse. Got it. That's awesome. Do you yeah. have other, other panels that you're looking at more on the kind of that wellness front and or kind of the accumulation front, I, I guess, would be one way of looking at that. Can you ask that again? Cause I do, I'm not I sure. Yeah. So on, so the neural health, the, the vibrant neural health, uh, is gives you a whole slew of markers specifically on brain health. Wondering if there are other specifics that you're looking at. Um, I don't know, functional medicine tests, EEGs or anything like that. Any other tests? on the brain? Well, um, there is another test, the neural health zoomer, which is really looking at autoantibodies, brain autoantibodies. That's a little bit more sophisticated. I've used that um, with a few people, but I find that the neural health panel is really motivating for people mm -hmm. to see when that's occurring. Yeah. And that is the test that I did with the 40 year old and her 67 year old mother that was like, okay, this is real. We're, we're making some changes here. So, um, and, and then, you know, really with everybody, I'm going to do a stool test. I'm going to do a food sensitivity test. I'm going to do a comprehensive blood panel and I'm going to do a genetic panel. So I'm looking at all of those fronts and really developing a, a bio-individualized program for that person. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's really covering a lot of facets for their health for them. Um, do I'm wondering as well, in that couple, like, like, let's just use them as the mm -hmm. example to talk about. So have you been working with them for a while? And are you seeing like mother daughter changes or what's what's happening with them? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I did all of those tests um, on them. And um, the the mother, the, the woman with the signs and symptoms of dementia, and her mother died of dementia. Um, has, has made, you know, a complete change in her diet. She was, you know, of that generation where she would wake up in the morning and start coffee and, and drink it all day long. You know, the pot was just always on the yeah. burner, you know, <laughs> yeah. my parents used to do that. Yeah. Um, and so when we did food sensitivity testing, caffeine and coffee both came up as an issue for her. So that was the one thing I thought she would, I would lose her on because <laughs> she was so into coffee. Yeah. She completely cut it out and um, has done all of the uh, gut healing work that I've asked her to do. I mean, really, I'm not doing anything specific for her brain, right. but I'm managing her blood sugar. We're optimizing digestion. We're working on lifestyle and getting her moving and exercising and, um, you know, optimizing her sleep, getting the caffeine out. She said she's never slept like she is now. I mean, what a concept, right? Um, and right. so I met with them last week and both of them have noticed that she is a lot sharper. Wow. And I haven't retested yet to really sure. see what the numbers are, are showing. I've been, we've, we're now about three months in, 
but they're both noting, especially the daughter that her mom isn't struggling as much to find her words and she's just tracking better. So super pleased. That's marvelous. And and honestly, that's, that's what matters in the real world. I mean, of course we want to see the, the numbers change and, but, um, but their functional, their quality of life has improved stories like that and should be motivating for everybody out there. You know, it, it is, um, you know, you've got to turn these stones over to figure out what's going on. We don't want you just wandering around like ignorance is not bliss in this category. We want you to be fully informed and educated. And you may decide, like you, you had mentioned like, oh, I thought I'd lose her on the coffee. Um, but, you know, she was willing to give it a go. It always amazes me, folks with stress, insomnia, anxiety, and they're drinking coffee. It's like, do you need more stress in your life? Here we go. But um, thankfully they were willing to, play along and be curious about their health and get the changes that you were hoping to get. And um, it's different for everybody, right? Like, uh, like it, there, there aren't two people that are exactly the same, which is uh, why you need to do that deep exploration. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, the way I talk about it, if I had 10 people in the room here with a similar chief complaint, we'd have about 12 different programs for them, right? For sure. It yeah. is so different. Everybody arrives at that place and time so differently with their different genetic backgrounds, different trauma histories, different ancestral, you know, epigenetic changes. I mean, it's very, it starts to balloon out. Um, When you're doing a good job, you have to address all of those, um, those facets. And so refreshing to hear you've actually systematized it and are teaching other providers on how to do this. Yes. Um, how do, what about those, like how to avoid it happening, but what if you already have symptoms? Can we give some folks some hope here? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I would do anything different because what we're really looking for are those driving factors, yeah. you know, that are, that are really leading you to the expression of those symptoms. And so I would, I would really start with just these basic tests to find out, you know, are you really digesting well? Can you absorb your nutrients well? Is there any leaky gut? Is there inflammation present? Are your are blood sugar numbers really well regulated? Um, what's your oxidative stress, right? That's such a huge one for brain health. Um, and, you know, looking at the lifestyle, are you sleeping? Are you moving? Are you oxygenating your brain? You know, those factors all play such a huge role and it's basic. Yeah. You you know, those foundations are, you can't really talk about them too much. Right. I mean, people are like, oh, I know those things, but it's like, do you really know them? Like, are you listening and making changes on those? You know, so often I'll, I'll have, like, I got the aura ring for my son and we do a review of his data and I'm like, well, you're sleep like what is going on he's like i know it's just low it's like well what are you doing to change the number you know like what are you doing there like nothing like well that's why we have the device to measure so (laughs) that we can move the needle to make the changes to make you feel better right uh and that's the same thing for us like these are some foundational changes that we're covering today um, I'm wondering if you gave like the top three items for brain health that you recommend, like on, on that level of like actionable items for people to really check in with and do. 
I think I would have to say um, <clears throat> optimize blood sugar, yep. stop eating gluten, <laughs> um, and manage your stress. And I have to throw in sleep well too, you know, and I, the thing I love about the aura ring and just the, that feedback is, you know, if you, if you're not measuring it, you can't improve it. Like that's, that's the beauty of these sort of devices. Right. And I know even for myself with my aura ring, like I'm in bed for eight or nine hours, but you know, some nights I get maybe seven, right? Because it's not how long you're in bed. It's the quality of the sleep that you're, that you're experiencing. And so really measuring it tells you how you can improve it. So um, yeah, those would be my top three. I love it. Yeah. So keeping the glucose well-balanced, uh, managing your stress, optimizing your sleep. And then you added an extra one in there. Um, was it exercise? You Gluten. Gluten. Oh my gosh. Yes. Gluten. Got the gluten. And that is a big one. You know, here in Portland, Oregon, we have, you know, dedicated bakeries. You can buy it off the shelf. Yeah. It's very catered. Um, folks are tuned into that. Not all communities have that ability. I think the gluten-free movement though has grown in the United States as more and more people have become sick, like you're mentioning, um, and really tying some of those inflammatory um, stages to our diet. Do you have some favorite resources for people to go to? Like if they want to explore that, I mean, we're, I've got all of your contact information in the show notes here. Um, but I'm wondering if they're like early on, cause sometimes that's like, I have to give up bread, gluten, like really wheat, uh, you know, so that I know can be alarming to a lot of folks, but you know, you don't know until you investigate and oftentimes, and I will agree with you, that is such a big player, um, for really everybody. So, um, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've been gluten-free for 20 years and, um, I'm not saying that it's easy, but I am saying that it has profound impacts on all aspects of your health. Um, and, you know, we can, we can talk about why that is, you know, wheat has been so hybridized. It's not necessarily the wheat of our ancestors. Mm. And um, I was really surprised um, to learn this, that in Italy, which I consider sort of the bread capital of the world, right. With the pizza and the pasta yeah. and all those things. When an infant is born, it is tested for celiac mm. because it's so prevalent. And so, you know, I think that we all need to look at it and there is life without gluten. You know, um, I, for my clients, I share tons of recipes and um, help guide them in that process. And I think today there's so many more resources for gluten-free options than there were when I became gluten-free 20 years ago. So um, I would just encourage everybody to explore it and just see how they feel off gluten for a month. Yeah. And, and I'll just add to that too. So just, cause I see sometimes folks will come in, they've, they've got this information. They're like, I'm, I'm gluten-free, but they've replaced the bread products with gluten-free products which, you know, have the tapioca flowers and potato starch and like that are not, it's not a health food way of eating, of just eliminating the gluten and replacing that with gluten-free kind of uh, carbohydrate. Right. So just a little caveat uh, alarm there. If you're new getting into this discussion, 
don't just launch it off of getting the gluten-free pretzels and the breads and the cereals. It's like, you know, let's, let's look at it a little bit more holistically and not just going to another carbohydrate because what happens, the other component, which you mentioned was the, you know, regulating your glucose, <laughs> yeah. is, um, you know, you can really spike your glucoses and get your sugars out of whack there too. Um, but I love that. That is a, a really profound share. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners yeah. and viewers out there. You know, coming down to the last part of the show, are there other components that you would, you think, oh, we should have talked about this doc? And or anything that you, you know, any gems that you'd like to share? Well, I mean, I think, you know, dietarily, we didn't, we didn't really talk too much about diet. Um, I think eating the right types of fats makes a huge difference. Um, you know, we, we know that the brain is made up of lipids or fats, um, but it runs on glucose. And, and so, um, you know, we need the right kinds of lipids or fats to really facilitate signal transduction within the brain. So I think avoiding things like, um, of course, you know, trans fats, but also lots of omega-6 fats, which would be things like uh, corn oil and soybean and safflower. And uh, those kinds of fats are not really great. We get so much of that in our diet and really focusing more on omega-3 fats. So fish oil, um, eating oily fish, chia seeds, um, walnuts, MCTs, the medium chain triglycerides, which would be things like coconut oil or ghee. Those are all fats that are really brain friendly and brain healthy. Um, and then I think, you know, there are also some foods that can really um, improve brain cell stability and communication. And so those would again be things like walnuts and, um, olive, olive oil, turmeric, uh, rosemary, dark chocolate, which is always a, an, a good one for people. Um, and then, you know, like we've, we've said over and over again, really avoiding sugar and refined carbohydrates, um, which lead to that poor insulin control. So um, I think really, really focusing on the healthy fats. I'm still seeing most of my clients really fat fearful, you know, afraid to overeat fats. And, um, and the result of that is that then they eat too many carbohydrates, you know, and, and eating too many carbohydrates, it's like trying to heat your house with kindling all the time. You know, you're just going to burn through it and you're going to be hungry. But when you fuel with those really healthy, healthy fats, um, it's like putting a big log on the fire. They're going to burn long and slow, and then you're not going to be turning to those carbohydrates all the time. So when we talk about what we cut out, we also have to talk about what we're going to, you know, put more of in. Yeah, that is, that's a biggie. Uh, You know, so I would say 20 years of doing diet diaries with folks, omega-3 deficiency is one of the top things that I have seen. Yes. We just don't get enough of that in our diets. Um, I'm curious, have you come across the, the work of Dan Goodnow with the with plasmalogens and on the fat front? If no. not, I'll, I'll tune you into that. Um, he wrote a book called Breaking Alzheimer's and plasmalogens are 25% of our phospholipid bilayer around the cell. 
And he's linked all neurodegeneration to low plasmalogens in the blood. Wow. And published some really groundbreaking research in the Alzheimer's community on reversing Alzheimer's. He said he's not reversing Alzheimer's, he's reversing plasmalogen deficiency, which in essence is reversing Alzheimer's. So he, his book, Breaking Alzheimer's, it's a great one. I, I want to just help get the word out on that because the Thank research, you for that. when you go down that rabbit hole, is um, it's really enlightening. And um, Dr. Bredesen is also, he wrote, I think the preface or has a, a note on, I know he's a big proponent of plasmalogen. Fantastic. Um, so the fats, you know, we, we could call affectionately each other fat heads here um, because <laughs> of our brains up there. And it, that one um, on those ratios, like, so you mentioned a couple of the, the cooking oils, um, like the medium chain triglycerides for coconut oil. Um, olive oil, are there better olive oils than not? Or is there any, do we need to be worried about olive oil at all? Well, you know, you, I mean, now you can find things like high phenolic olive oil, you know, they're, they're really becoming specialized. Um, and then there's also been the concern that olive oil really isn't olive oil, right? right. You're getting something. I think, um, is there a I truth think, to that? I, I'm not sure. I don't, yeah. I'm not an expert on that. Um, I think finding local, if you can, olive oil is really a good idea. Um, and then, you know, uh, clearly organic is always best in my book. So yeah, yeah. likewise. Awesome. Um, oh, and then exercise was the other big category that we didn't really touch on. So I'm wondering if you want to weigh in on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, humans are meant to move. Exercise releases that brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's something that can be measured. And this is a growth factor that really helps our neurons um, enhance the potential for brain plasticity, the ability of our brain to uh, change and adapt and rewire itself. So um, I, I always like to really talk about the importance of that as, you know, when we're trying to learn a new dance step. <clears throat> so my husband and I take dance lessons and it's hard to learn a new step together, right? Mm. It's something new and different, but as we do that, we forge um, this type of, you know, flexibility and new neural pathways and exercise does that for us. So um, I, I think that it's really, really important. I think everybody needs to move. I stress it, you know, a lot in my practice. And um, it also helps us improve, you know, growth hormones um, and helps us recover from trauma. I mean, there's just so many great things about exercise and who doesn't feel better when they're moving. I think it's one of those things that people need to just start developing that habit and, and bringing it in. Um, it's going to help with pleasure. I mean, it's going to help with sleep. There's so many things about exercise that are beneficial. What do you do? What's the kind of some starting spots on exercise for folks? Cause sometimes that's a loaded term for folks, right? So, um, let's say, you know, especially over the last two years, we kind of got a little more couch potato-y, um, we're not moving our bodies, you know, maybe we're going for walks. Um, what do you, what are some tools or uh, tricks of the trade per se to get folks moving their bodies again? 
Well, I think you, you know, you start where you are and build up. Um, I, I like to see people building up to, um, you know, a good 30 minutes a day, at least of, of movement. Um, and I, I like people to get their heart rate up and, you know, really um, kind of flesh out the oxygen um, and, you know, really finding something that they love doing, whether it's riding a bike or um, running, whatever. Uh, I, when I'm working with people that are trying to lose weight, um, I will encourage them to just, you know, get a, get a little fitness app and do five minutes before a meal. It can really help set the metabolism and get, you know, burn more right before the meal. Um, And so I think you just, you just find something that you love and you start at it, you know, and once you do, it's, it's rather addictive. Um, It is, you know, one of the components that I've found is I used to recommend kind of just kind of doing it every other day, but I think getting into a daily habit where then we don't get in the struggle around our will and our willpower, meaning today, am I doing it today or do it tomorrow? tomorrow? Right. It's going to be tomorrow. Like, I don't feel like it today or whatever the thing is, you know, you can tailor what you're doing. Like if it's going to be a gentle stretching routine versus a vigorous, you know, hit workout of doing calisthenics in your living room, but, um, but do it every day so that it takes it off the table of, you know, even taking one day off, I used to do a, a, five, a six day routine with like Sundays off. Um, and I found like, it was really hard to get going on Monday sometimes, you know? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just a really big fan of thinking about how our ancestors lived and, you know, they just didn't sit around. They were constantly moving. And although that's really hard with our lifestyles today, we have to find a way to make that happen you know, and, and at least simulate it to the best that we can. Yeah. Love it. All right. With the last couple minutes, uh, any pearls of wisdom that you'd like to impart with us today? You know, I just think that, um, really recommending that people do some investigation and find somebody that they can work with that is willing to look at some of these basic Uh, functions and really easy ways to assess um, these underlying drivers of neurodegeneration. And the sooner the better, you know, since we know that it it happens decades before symptoms appear, be proactive about it and really do some um, investigation around your own biochemistry, you know, and and really doing that is just going to set you up for a, a better quality of life moving forward. I love it. And thank you so much for coming on the show. All of her credentials and sites are below in the notes. It's restorative wellness on Facebook and Instagram, restorative wellness solutions.com on the interwebs. And I, everybody, this was a one near and dear to me, brain health, neurodegeneration, early detection. Um, please share this with your loved ones get into action on this as well. So think of two people that you could share this show with, tell them why you're sharing it because you love them, of course, but in particular, what was your take home message of what, what was the one or two things that you're going to do? 
um, I'd love to see if you've got it on, on one of the platforms where we have some comments below. Tell me what you're putting into action because this is the year. We're getting into action 2022. Everybody, this is What the Health. We are here on the Contact Talk Radio Tuesdays from 2 to 3 Pacific. We will see you next week. Bye, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.